Welcome back, my Mindset Explorers. Today's episode is a truly fantastic one, okay? I'm struggling to really hit the words here, uh, but I will say it blew my mind, okay? Have you ever been called a creative couch potato before? If you don't even know what I'm talking about, then this episode's worth listening to because Tony Albrich, he really slings it in this episode. He brings in how we all think about creativity um, and he really breaks it down in a way that I've never heard before. And this episode, I got to say, he's brought in a, a number of topics and I'll just I'll just give you a few here. Uh, we, we talked about what creativity truly means. Like, what does creativity mean? How the educational system even stole your creativity from you. And then how do you strengthen that creativity muscle? If that stuff sounds interesting to you, well, dang, you need to stick around because this episode is full of it. It has so much knowledge and information in it. But before we get into the episode, I want to ask if you haven't watched or heard these episodes before, and this is your first time, uh, be sure to follow and subscribe. If you have heard these episodes before, hit the five stars that you're on the podcast app that you're listening to and leave a comment if you feel drawn to. Also, if you're really wanting to be ambitious and spread a lot of gratitude, uh, you can head over to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash art of mindset. Uh, and you have different donation packages because we all know running a podcast takes time and money. So I always appreciate and we appreciate anything that you're willing to contribute to that. So without any further ado, I will get us into this episode because my conversation with Tony blows my mind. So stick around. Hey, Tony, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking with you before on the show and connecting with you on LinkedIn. I, I love your story and I think our listeners are going to really gain a lot from it um, just in your development of how you got to where you are now, moving out into Canada, living on the land and enjoying yourself with your creative flow. But before we get there, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure, Brian. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. So I always love getting my guests into figuring out where people were as children. And I think that kind of helps us find our inner child again and be, be creative in that regard of going into our imagination and remembering back when we were kids and that imagination was tapped in fully. So who was Tony on the playground? Who was he as a kid? That's a, an interesting place to start. I, I think of myself as as a friendly kid, as a, uh, as a fairly rambunctious kid. Um, I, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri with my mom and dad and two little sisters, uh, where we were, the three of us are three years apart, uh, in total. So pretty close. Um, and yeah, growing up, I, uh, I was usually trying to be 
kind of in the center of stuff. That makes sense. Yeah. So I, I can kind of see that as something that kind of took place and developed as you kind of grew and in, in that and, and figuring out who you were and all this stuff. Were there any influential people that kind of helped Tony become who Tony was in the early development? Oh, man, I should have I should have put a lot more thought into my we're going all uh, Freudian. Um, <laughs> I, my parents are the, the obvious, uh, influence. I can see the influence of my mother who, uh, was such an advocate for our education and for using education as a, as a way of both achieving success and also finding meaning in life. Uh, and then my dad, I can see in myself, my, my father's rebellious streak where I, my father, or maybe it's better to say independent streak, um, where, yeah, growing up, I, I started having some, what my dad thought were kind of boys being boys issues as a teenager um and and my dad just kind of supporting me you know and having my back all the way through through those experiences of of starting to get into a little bit of trouble as a teenager um you know even through kind of through high school um my grandmother uh, on my mother's side is is also somebody who over the years had a big influence on me she uh, passed away in 2007 which was my first year of law school uh, but she was a five foot tall served in the marines in world war ii uh, a, a real she was a firecracker uh, who had who had come of age in in the great depression and was shaped by that shaped by her, her experience in the war uh, and I, I think of her as, as teaching me, my sisters, my cousins, uh, really about the value of the hard work and not taking things for granted, uh, which were you know, lessons I then went on to have to learn myself the hard way, but kind of as I, as I matured and, and grew, um, I found myself thinking about my grandmother a lot in the years since she died, uh, in, in wishing I had learned some lessons from her better mm -hmm. earlier. Yeah. I think we all have these people that like influentially mold us into different ways of thinking. And we, sometimes we know when we're a teenager or we're a young person, we just hear it and we're just like, yeah, okay. And move right along past it. But then it hits us later in life and you're like, wow, uh, those really shaped me. And I have to say, I, I want to kind of dig into, you had that, like you said, rebellious streak, if you will, got in some trouble as a kid, but I want to know what was Tony's mindset in the world, what, where did the world fall into Tony, right? Or did Tony have the world revolving around him? Who was he at that point? 
I was somebody who thought the world revolved around me. And a lot of my problems, and I know we're going to get into, into you know, my, my story, and I think about it in terms of trajectories, that I was on one trajectory up until you know, the age of 27, more or less, and then you know, I'm, I'm 39 now, and I've been on a different trajectory since 27. And that trajectory up until the age of 27 uh, was one of, say, privilege and not appreciating the opportunities I had and not um, properly understanding just how lucky I was to be who I was born when I was in the house I was born in, um, the, the schools I was uh, given the opportunity to go to, um, my health, you know, I just all these things uh, had really gone right for me. And there's a saying from a, uh, a guy who, who helped me once I was in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, who say you were you were born on third thinking you hit a triple. And that's that was me in a nutshell, for mm. sure. Wow, that's a powerful saying. That's a really powerful saying. Just again, thinking everything's guaranteed for you. You know, you think it's uh, all things are for Tony or for us, for me, right? For Brian. And I think a lot of people have that mindset and can even find themselves thinking about that even now. And they might be blind to it. Do you think that people can only come to that realization? And I know you had them, I had them, these basically, like I said, multidimensional two by fours that kind of rock us and make us question everything in our trajectory. Do you think there's people that can get to a realization that the world does not revolve around them without those? Yes, I think that's just growing up. That's just maturing. And I think that I think that for most people, they kind of figure it out without kind of spiraling out of control. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about that? I mean, you, you spend more time on this stuff than I do. No, sure. Yeah. And I always like getting people's opinions on it because I, I think most of us do have some type of catalyst. You know, I like to think of it as a positive light. Sometimes when we're going through it, it's not a positive light. Um, and it really rocks us and makes us question everything and try to grab hold of anything if we can, because we're just spinning. But I do believe that we all have these moments. Now, how big are our moments depends on how stubborn we are. How many we have depends on, again, how stubborn we are. Now, that is my opinion of it. But I believe that we all have ripples, waves, crashes, shakedowns, just to kind of see where we stand and what we really care about. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think that's right. And I have certainly come to see uh, those experiences of kind of getting hit in the face with the two by four as a positive thing. You know, like my, my alcoholism ended up being one of the best things that's ever happened to me because it did force my hand into making some really dramatic changes, uh, not just in kind of what my life looked like, but in really in who I was and, and going from a place of thinking that 
to be successful in life, I just needed to jump through the right hoops um, to recognizing that that wasn't going to produce the life I wanted to live. And what I needed to start with was what kind of man do I want to be and who do I want to be for the people I care about and starting from there and then, and then letting it grow. And without, without that two by four experience, or maybe if I wasn't as stubborn as I, as I was, um, then maybe I do just kind of float along um, for who knows how long uh, without, without maybe learning some of the things that I think I, I kind of learned that have really made a, a dramatic difference in, in my quality of life and my quality of, of experiences. Yeah, it's. I, I think, like you said, without a doubt, there there's those multi-dimensional two by fours, like I like to say, that are gonna shake us, and we reference them a little bit in your your show so far. And I kind of want to get the listeners into understanding what yours was. And I know back we got to go into saying your trajectory was heading toward, and you were on track and had become a lawyer, which is in society. Uh, a high class, high societal thought of, you know, role to have. And now we find ourselves where? So I, I graduated law school in St. Louis in 2009 at the height of the, the recession. And my best job offer was on the island of Guam. And so I, I hear you on the the thinking of of the legal profession as being kind of you know we I mean when we're kids right we think about doctors and lawyers and and frankly that was kind of how I ended up in law school in the first place was uh, it, I was looking for the the right degree to be quote unquote successful and. I chose law. Really, I think I might have chosen medicine if I were weren't averse to blood. You know, like that. That it really was that I wasn't all that into science. That I was like, I'm not going to be a doctor. I guess I'll be a lawyer. And unfortunately, there there probably wasn't a whole lot more intention around it. It's just, I could write well, I could speak fairly well. Um, and I really liked the movie, A Few Good Men. So, you know, we'll, we'll take a crack at that. Um, so yeah, I came into the experience of law school and then being a lawyer from that perspective you're talking about. And by the time you get out, uh, I think most of us have been disavowed, my, my classmates and I, of of that idea um, that it's not like the movies and that it's it's not what you thought it was going to be. Uh, that when it comes down to it, I, I don't know if I would, if most is accurate. I don't have the data on this, but um, I think lawyers tend to end up overworked, overstressed and over leveraged 
financially because of the debt that we took on to get that degree. Um, so all that to say that you know, my first job being as an associate attorney for a, a solo practitioner on the island of Guam, you know, which is a little island uh, about a two-hour flight from Tokyo in the Pacific, uh, that was not how I saw my life unfolding. Um, and yeah, that was, uh, so by the time I, I landed there, my drinking had gotten out of control, um, and caused a number of problems in a way that, that, uh, yeah, it was, I'd been off to the races, so to speak. I, I think of myself as a high functioning alcoholic by, by the time I graduated in 2009. And with that kind of, I guess, reality, if you will, that, that point of trajectory, you're moving down this, you don't see any red flags. You're not, you're not really blind. You're not seeing anything that's saying, Hey, Tony, you should stop doing this. Oh, there were red flags. Okay. Oh, there were, there were definitely red flags. I, I had run-ins with the law up before that point. I had a couple times landing in, in emergency rooms from, accident i had a bad burn accident in 2005 when i was drunk um i i ended up i ended up in pretty much a street fight in 2008 and it was uh it was one on four uh i was the one and it did not go well for me brian that did not go again this idea of lessons learned the hard way that was i doesn't get much harder than concrete. No. Yeah, no, that's 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 more than a two by four at that point. Yeah, so I, there were most definitely red flags, and this is I, you used the word stubborn earlier, and stubborn was was right that as a my my worldview, this worldview of I'm the center of the universe, and I I do think of myself as an egomaniac. Then you know that that I was all. I was the hero of the story, right? And so anything that happened had to be shoehorned into that narrative. And yeah, it it wasn't until Guam that I was forced to consider the possibility that I I was the problem. (laughs) I got to say, probably the listeners are wondering, like, what was it then that kind of just rocked you to the point of saying maybe i need to stop what i'm doing altogether yeah uh the the line that i use is that you you hit rock bottom the moment you stop digging and you regaining consciousness in a guamanian jail cell on thanksgiving night of 2009 it was officially my rock bottom as as a human being and as an alcoholic, um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I was deeply unhealthy and unhappy and lonely, uh, and I think just in, in a way sick in my mind. You know, my 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 thinking was so toxic and twisted um, that that was the point I came to, where, where I basically I'm. I mean, that, that 
how I came to be in that cell was not particularly interesting. I drank too much and I went out to get a cheeseburger. I mean, that was, that was it. I mean, and thank God I never hurt anybody in, in like my irresponsible behavior in those days. Right. But I, it was, it's really actually a pathetic story how I came to actually be there. Right? It's just a chubby, lonely guy you know, who's, who's on a, on a holiday making these terrible decisions. Right? That was, that's actually what it, what it turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, I think that probably kind of shook the egomaniac that it was that kind of that, that story at that regard. And I got to, I wonder, I want to kind of pull some advice out for people that are struggling with maybe vices or things of their own beast, if you will, of addiction or anything. What would you say to these people that are, don't feel as if, you know, oh, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal yet. I can still manage this. All of the excuses that is being pumped into that words of wisdom being on this now, basically, what are we, 20 years old, or no, 15 years on the other end of this almost. What are, uh, what are we saying? Yeah. So my last drink was May 29th of 2010. So I'm coming up on 12 years since my last drink. Um, so that, that Guamanian jail cell was not my last drink, but it was, it was when I started trying to get myself out of the hole I had dug. Um, when I think about other people struggling with with addiction and I've talked to a lot of alcoholics in the 12 years since um, I try to simplify it which is like is the thing causing you problems because if the thing is causing you problems then you have a problem with that thing right like a drinking problem is when your drinking causes problems right? and trying to simplify it in a way that just saying, look at the, the consequences, right? Like look at the outcomes of your behaviors. Right? So like up until that point, I was somebody who would say, my drinking is not really the problem. My problem is A, B, C, you know, that it's not actually the boozing. I can control that. I can put that aside if I want to. Um, and it was, Ultimately, that just banging my head against the wall so many times uh, that, like I said, I, I ended up being forced to take a look in the mirror as you know, a brand new attorney who was in danger of losing my law license right after I'd gotten it. Um, but in terms of of how we learn to get past things. What really changed things for me, Alcoholics Anonymous was really valuable to me. And, and I remain a, a fan of that program um, and the 12-step methodology for making change. And the two things that I think are critical is, uh, number one, a framework for kind of working through who you've been, like your past. Um, and then also trying to clean it up in a way that 
you know, maybe we don't have to carry the weight of the past. And it, like, we can, we can see it. We can recognize what it was. We can learn from it. And then we're able to leave it behind and turn our attention toward making the next best, best decision, uh, which is how I think about the 12 steps that it's not telling you what to do next. It's just, giving you suggestions for how you might want to behave and think right now in a way that makes it more likely you're going to make healthy, productive, positive decisions going forward. Like that, that framework is one thing that's huge. And the other is accountability. They just, I've, I found in my life that there, I, I think part of this is my personality, but, um, I haven't had as much guidance as I think I should have or could have used. And in, in like that environment there through sponsorship and, and that sort of thing, you have the opportunity to work with, with people farther down the path, right? People who know things that you don't know and who've been where you've been in a way that when, you know, like, Rob, my, my sponsor back in those days who had been down and out in a way that I actually didn't understand. Um, when he said things, I, I would listen to him in a way that I wouldn't listen to pretty much anybody else. Um, so say thinking about, you know, for people who are struggling, just thinking about that, like how is your past holding you back? And then also who are you listening to? Who are you taking advice from? Because if, if the only person you're really listening to is yourself, then I think you probably identified the problem right there. Mm, that's really powerful. And I think that can also be applied and I would like to couple it with anything. You're trying to be an entrepreneur or you're trying to stop being a people pleaser or you're start charting to trying to find yourself again. That 12-step process, accountability, massive part of just growing and expanding as a human, right? If somebody wants to be better, be a better person, having those people around you, you're like that saying goes, you're the, the average of the five people you surround yourself most with. So who are you surrounding yourself with? Audit your environment. Are you finding yourself, is it, if it is a toxic environment, are you finding yourself in one regularly, a toxic environment that challenges you and what you crave or feel as if you need? So I think that that's really powerful stuff that can be applied not just to addiction, but really to a lot of parts of our life. And I want to know when you went on this journey of finding those big questions, who is Tony? What kind of man does Tony want to be? Where did you start in that? So the, the starting point really was in that 12-step process, uh, which involves kind of laying out essentially like everything you've ever done. It's, they call it a moral inventory, like everything you feel bad about ever having done or every wrong you've ever committed. It's like getting it all out on paper. And then the fifth step is sharing what you wrote down with another human being. Um, it's, that's a powerful experience. It, and it's one that I think, I mean, I certainly had never done up until that point. Uh, 
but there's tremendous power in kind of separating from creating a little bit of distance from your personal story, particularly the negative things. Um, but you know, once I started going forward in the way I think about it is I did strip myself down like to the foundations and start from there. And frankly, I, I read a ton. I was reading a ton in, in like 2010, 2011, 2012. I was writing, um, uh, a lot, uh, in 2010, I spent a year on Guam before going back to St. Louis and taking a job with a downtown firm uh, in my hometown. And, and the job involved traveling around, like flying around for, for different cases in different places. And so I had, I had no wife, no kids, uh, and a ton of free time. So I really was just, uh, that was a period where I was blowing through like more than a book a week, you know, for, for about a two, two year period. And simply by virtue of having that much time available. Um, but it, it really is a matter of, you know, like, what are you feeding your, your mind with your spirit with, you know, that, that, uh, you know, like if, if I'm just like hanging out, watching big bang theory all day long, like that is going to have a different effect on my thinking than if I'm reading things or even watching things that are challenging me, that are teaching me, that are you know, introducing me to, or to ideas that, that have the potential to make me a better human being. So that's kind of a, a rambling roundabout way of, of saying, I read a lot, Brian. So going into reading a lot, consuming a lot of books, I like to go back to a saying and it always resonates with me and it's, are you consuming or are you being consumed? And it about, it's about what are you digesting every day? What is, what's around you that's maybe passively coming into you? What are you watching? What are you reading? Audit everything and be, be open to the idea that you can consume stuff that you've never consumed before, like picking up books that maybe be self-help books or spiritual books or whatever it be. What kind of books did you, and I'm curious, what kind of books did you feel yourself drawn to through this? So I, I was all over the board. I, re, I really was from history to spirituality, to self-help, to finance, um, to well, like, uh, like running. I got in, I got into trail running, uh, quick. So, um, but when I think about like the, the books that really started to mess with my mind. Um, I, the one for, for purposes of this conversation that comes to mind was Vagabonding, a book by a guy named Rolf Potts that was uh, essentially a book about long-term travel. 
and just this idea that you, know, you don't need to wait until retirement to go spend six months somewhere. Uh, I read that book for the first time in 2011 and was turned on to it by a buddy of mine from I met in Guam, uh, where Trey had, had been working as a management consultant and then he quit his job, sold his stuff and, and took a backpack uh, to Asia and then made it to Guam. And it, that book started to mess with my mind in a way that as it unfolded, I think led directly to my doing that myself in 2013 and starting this, this journey that, uh, that we came to call off scripting. And my sister and I started a blog of the same name in 2015. And the basic premise of off scripting being, we, we have this conventional script for success and happiness but it's a script that that doesn't necessarily fit everyone. And you know, both myself and my sister Christy found ourselves in positions where we, we had gotten the degrees and gotten the jobs and were doing really well by by most standards. Uh, and then are left with this feeling of I mean, there's a lot of feelings involved, including like guilt and shame and and, but the overarching message being, why doesn't it feel better? I, I, I got where I've been trying to get to and like, look, everything is good. And like, I'm on the trajectory, right? Like I can see that if I just keep doing what I'm doing, like I am on the direct straight and narrow toward success and financial security. Uh, why, why don't I want to be here? And, and vagabonding was instrumental for both of us in, in uh, say, okay, maybe we go try doing something else. And so what happens when you create a little bit of space, you know, in terms of time, energy, uh, you know, save some money, and then go off in a different direction to try try starting to write your own story for, for success, for happiness, what that looks like for you. Holy cow. That's a book right there. I've not read it. I got to read it. Um, I have to say just the off scripting and the components of going off the norm and that feeling of probably listeners, probably other people are feeling this of saying, yeah, yeah I've gotten the job I wanted to get. I've created my reality to a point of what I thought was success. And like you said, it's, it's not it, right? It's something missing. There's still something there. So you went on this journey of finding yourself more and finding that, that voice or that, that, that feeling of fullness through that, getting that mind shift of setting forward and moving forward into other places and exploring. Where did you find yourself first in this journey of just outward ex exploration, if you would? Sure. So my intention in 2013 was to take a year traveling in Southeast Asia. So I gave myself a six month runway ahead of that where I started saving every dollar. I prepared to I, I quit my job. Um, I actually moved back in with my parents. 
for a few months just to save that much money. Um, and the intention was to spend a year in Southeast Asia. And what ended, I mean, there are some other stories in there uh, about, about that plan getting derailed almost immediately. But uh, ultimately, my one-year sabbatical like, turned into more than four years um, of uh, I ended up working as a contract attorney in a couple different uh, capacities and just kind of alternating between going back to the U.S., kind of doing what I had been doing previously, just kind of flying around, uh, like participating in lawsuits, uh, and then going off for for a few months at a time. You know, I, I spent a few months in uh, like Mozambique and South Africa in 2014. In 2014, later, I, I walked the Camino de Santiago with, with my sister, Christy, uh, which is a 500-mile uh, pilgrimage route across Spain. Uh, 2015, I went and spent three months in India and Nepal at the beginning of the year. And it was at a... I, a 10-day silent meditation retreat in the Indian Himalaya uh, where I met a, a lovely Canadian who like, we started talking as we were waiting for our room assignments. And then we went into silence for 10 days and started talking when we came out of, out of silence. And we're still talking today here seven years later with, uh, with a couple kids. Um, so yeah, that was, through 2015, I also spent a bunch of time in Latin America, in Costa Rica, in Mexico, and uh, Guatemala. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I covered a lot of ground, started a few different projects along the way. But uh, that, but from 2013 to 2017, when I went back to work or plugged back into the matrix, if you will, um, yeah, there was a there's a lot that happened there. So do with that as you, as you see fit, Brian. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's a ton. And I imagine you got a lot. And I have to say, if I walked your walk and did that, coming back, like you said, plugging into the matrix or going back into the real world, right? As they say, right. That had to feel so foreign and so fake and not, real comparative to what you're experiencing around the world and traveling and going on these retreats and these silent meditations and exploring, what were you feeling? Uh, yeah, that's, it's a really interesting point. And up until the point where I did that, I would have agreed that that was how I was going to feel. If, if my 2014 self heard that my 2017 self went back to working in the same industry I had walked away from in 2013, that 2014 self would have been disappointed. Uh, that wasn't the case. That by 2017, uh, this idea of, of off scripting being write your own story. Uh, and for me, by that point, uh, my wife Seville and I, we got married in 2016, 2017, you know, we're both in our thirties. We're ready to start a family. It's really hard to start a family, you know, on the road with a backpack, you know? So 
ultimately it was a, for me, it was a, a question of where am I trying to go, right? That the, the whole point along the way was to find a way to go from being the man I had become at 27, which was just a train wreck, a dumpster fire of a human being, uh, to working my way along this trajectory where as time passes, I become more of the man I, I hope to become and my life builds, that I manage to actually find who I'm trying to be, get better at being that person, and then finding ways to use my time and my energy and my talents to build a life, uh, let's say that's like worth the candle. And so by that, I got a really good opportunity in, in St. Louis where I was working with one of my closest friends, helping him build an office, like a new law office with a national law firm. And when I plugged back in, I was really fortunate to plug back in essentially at the same level I would have been at had I never left in 2013, uh, which there was always that question when I was out uh, in the wilds of, am I ever going to be able to get a job again? <laughs> Is anybody, you know, people talk about resume gaps, right? Then it's like, that was a hell of a gap I had. That was a really, it was, it was a gaping gap. And so to be able to, to come back in in a place where I knew how to do the work, but also I was able to exercise a lot of, of creativity and autonomy around how we were going about our business and our hiring practices and our culture. Uh, it was really rewarding while also, you know, providing the stability, enough stability to actually start you know, like we got a house. We had a baby in 2018. Our second baby came in uh, 2021, a COVID baby. And, and so just like, you know, by, by 2021, then just, being able to look at my life and be like, okay, like we've, we've made progress. <laughs> Was there any part of you itching to do something different? I know you, you're having that creativity, autonomy, being able to build something up with a buddy and a friend, but was there stuff, a part of Tony that was like itching to say, no, there's, I need to do, I need to do something else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in 2000, 16, my sister and I started a support group for creativity. It was essentially like we both wanted to be writers from an early age. And I think part of why I went to law school was hiding from that. Like that what I wanted to be doing was writing books and I wasn't. Um, and so we started this creative support group where we were like, let's start like trying to make progress on these ideas we've had. And we did pretty well that we, we ran 25 cohorts over the course of five years we made a bunch of, of work. You still can't find any of my books, uh, but I, I've written three manuscripts and it, at least one of them, if not two of them, will be getting out into the world in the next six months. But, um, but so we, over the course of those five years with that project that was called Axis, which has now become the Rowdy Creative, our creative community, um, it, I really got in touch with my own creativity and kind of how essential that is to me, that, that I, that quality of 
having ideas and then making something new using your your experiences and your talents uh, and combining them in a way that makes something that's new and of value in some way uh, that became increasingly central to kind of how I keep my head on straight and so while that law firm experience was really positive in a lot of ways I was still out I wasn't quite cut out for it, you know, and, and it's not, I don't think of it as a, uh, a fault of, of the legal profession of that law firm of the people I was working for. Uh, I just didn't quite fit. I never should have gone to law school, right? Like, like that was a mistake. I never should have done it. So there was always that idea of, again, I could see now, again, I could see what my life could look like 20 years from now if I just behave myself and being in that position of, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It goes back to the stubbornness, but um, I got, I have to think that doing this and creating and finding your creativity, being a writer, I know what I feel is what creativity means. And, and maybe some of the listeners are struggling to find creativity. We always heard it before from people around the world, right? Saying, oh, I'm just not creative. I can't create that kind of stuff. I just can't do that stuff. I'm not artistic. Like I can't think that way. What would you say to those people that are, that are saying this or struggling to define creativity for themselves? Yeah, that's something I write about regularly on LinkedIn uh, is it is something we run across is people saying, I'm not really creative like this or like that, or I'm just not creative. And that's wrong. We are all creative by birth that, we, through our schooling, I think creativity was sort of conditioned out of us, where we were taught to try to avoid the red X's and get the answers right, find the right answer. Right? And that is anathema to the creative process, right? where the creative process demands a willingness to be uncomfortable, to be uncertain, to not know the answers. And it requires a willingness to fail, which, you know, if I could go back and tell my 21 year old self anything, it's you need to learn how to fail with grace. And now sooner rather than later. Um, So like we all exercise our creativity all the time. And like, it could be like taking a new route to work or making a new food for dinner like these are just mundane creative acts but what we found is that you know, we've got this term in the rowdy creative couch potatoes which is like the person whose creative abilities have just atrophied right they just along the way those muscles have just not gotten the work over the years in a way that yeah you can't you're not going to go out and make your documentary or write your novel you're not going to, but you can sit down and write for 20 minutes. You know, you can take your phone and record a tree for five minutes. Like you can do something that is going to strengthen that muscle today. And then tomorrow you can do it again. And if you do that 30 days in a row or 
three days in a row, then take a day off, then do it another three days, your creative muscles will start to strengthen. And as that happens, your capacity for creation increases in a way that you know, once a person goes from being a creative couch potato to being creatively fit, the sort of work you're able to produce, you know, it increases dramatically, you know, and, and something that would have seemed impossible six months earlier, uh, you know, you're able to sit down and do the work consistently, win that battle against resistance, as is described in Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art, which is kind of my creativity Bible, but resistance just being that force that pushes back on us whenever we try to do anything to improve ourselves. You know, like if we can learn to win that battle against resistance, which manifests as procrastination, as self-doubt, as drama in our lives, as disorder, as, as um, um, self-criticism, you know, if we can, if we can learn to win that battle one day at a time, the work will happen. Like the work will take care of itself. There's uh there's, there's a line in that book I love, which is the, the secret it, that real writers know that wannabe writers don't is that um, it's not the writing part that's hard. It, what's hard is the sitting down to write. And I'm, I know as, as a man who's putting out a bunch of podcasts, I, I imagine you know the you know that experience just from this, and I'm I'm guessing from other experiences. But yeah, it's uh, that's the challenge. They're like sitting down to record, right? Like once we're here jamming like this. This is easy. We're in the flow. Yeah, yeah we're in the flow. It's easy. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely right. And I think that's the premise of redefining creativity. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up of like, what is art? And, you know, art can be a number of mediums. It can be put out into a number of ways. You said film. We said, you know, just doing a documentary or even just writing. It could be dance. It could be singing. It could be. And that's the point of creating is that creating dinner at night is creativity it's a mundane like you said creativity but if you start to see it at that then you start to re-image what creativity looks for you how did you come to that realization was it books that kind of sparked that that creativity is not what i've been sold uh seth godin has had a huge influence on me when i mean going back to your earlier question of what i was reading uh in 2010 2011 I got introduced to Seth's work then, and I, I say that pretty much everything I talk about now in terms of creativity and entrepreneurship, uh, it's all either ripped off directly from Seth Godin or from Stephen Pressfield. I, mean, I, I don't think I have anything original to say on any of this stuff. It's all just their ideas um, filtered through my, my lens. Um, so yeah, they, like, he had a, a book called Stop Stealing Dreams about education that was really valuable for me. Uh, his book Tribes about uh, how building community and, and leadership in uh, the connection economy that we're in. That was that was huge. I mentioned The War of Art. Uh, Stephen Pressfield's now written four or five books on the creative process that are like all, I mean, I think they're all gold. Um and yeah, I, there are a couple other, I mean, Liz Gilbert's Big Magic is an amazing book on creativity. Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way uh, is a beautiful 
and super practical book about how to cultivate creativity through daily practice. Um, but yeah, those are, those are kind of my uh, go-tos when it comes to how I think about you know, creativity and, and ultimately creativity as a way of life. That, and it, it dovetails with off scripting, right? That, that it, if we approach our lives as a blank canvas, you know, rather than a paint by numbers picture, uh, then we we're blessed to have a lot of freedom in what we do with that canvas. And we all have constraints. Like we, we're all in different situations with different realities that are pulling us in different directions. Uh, but I do believe it's true that for, for just about all of us, the future is unwritten. You know, it is, it's up to me to, to fill that, that canvas up. Um, and, Creativity, strengthening those muscles, uh, I think just makes the way I think about it is it puts me in a better position to make it more likely I'm going to produce something that could be considered a masterpiece. I'm not. I'm not saying it's going to be, but you know, I'm I'm taking I'm taking a crack at it. <laughs> And that's it, right? That's the leaning into it. And I think you even referenced it is that, 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 that pushback, that adversity of how badly do you want to strengthen that muscle? Just like if you want to get bigger in the gym and you want to run faster, you have to press yourself. You just have to start thinking about creativity and being creative as a muscle. And you're not going to be able to just, like you said, hop up and create a documentary and you're not going to be able to write a bestseller first try. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to create a business that's a seven-figure business first try. And that's the point of it is that, like you said, we're taught and conditioned through life and through school. One answer, one track, one path to success, one way to get the right answer. Um, and that's not the creative flow. That's not how it works. It's really trying every day over a long period of time with many failures and learning from those failures and then applying it again to the next time. I will say um, we're, we're coming to the end and it's already been almost an hour on this recording, but I want to throw out a couple questions. And one of my big questions is what are you most optimistic about in the future of where you think you're going in your journey? What are you most excited about? So 2021 was a, a year of transition where my wife and I took our two young children and, and went from St. Louis to Canada where my wife is from. Uh, and then I, I left the law and you know, I, I mentioned that I, I never should have gone, uh, in the first place. So I, I kind of stayed as long as it took to pay off those loans and, um, you know, transitioned out of that into uh, a new role with, uh, a nonprofit, consulting company called Mission Matters Group uh, at the end of 2021. Uh, so I'm coming into 2022, my, my motto for this year has been root down and, and start growing up. 
you know, just this idea of trying to land uh, and really get settled in in this new place where you know our family's now living in the woods up north of Toronto, um, and like I alluded to earlier, just building on what we've what we've done so far as a family. Um, so what I'm what I'm optimistic about is is the train is still on the tracks. <laughs> you know, like I'm, in a way that 2021 I've I describe as just a year of grabbing onto the armrests, afraid we're going to crash at any moment. Um, it was just a sort of it was a an endless stream of stress but but good stuff i mean in in the sense of yeah of of making big changes right but, but now we've we've successfully i think landed on the other side of a lot of those big changes uh in a way that you know, i'm i'm optimistic that we're in a position where you know we can we can keep growing as a, as a family i can keep growing I think as an entrepreneur, which, you know, like we've barely been able to touch on here and, and that's just fine. I, I love what we've talked about, but, um, you know, like creating more space in my life to, to flex those entrepreneurial muscles in a way that I, I haven't before. Um, and yeah, just continue to, to grow as a, as a person, as I, as I aim to hit 40 later this year. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And it, it, as I kind of think about, you know, you said we didn't touch about entrepreneur. If we go back to what is entrepreneurial spirit, it's creativity and it's being creative. And it's so I think we went deeper in that regard. And I think that's hopefully what listeners are gaining out of that. I want to ask the last closing question. In the past five years, is there any new beliefs, any new behaviors or habits that have been the most influential for you that kind of sprung up in the past five? It, it's weird to say at the age of 39, but I feel like it's only been in the last five years that I've really grown up. And so a couple things that have that I'm spending a lot of time on over these years. One is this idea uh of trying to understand what it means to be initiated or, or to, to grow up, to be mature, to become a man, really trying to wrap my head around that in a culture where I feel like we've lost what, what just about any culture anywhere in the world for a very long time would have had in terms of rites of passage and and sort of clear lines of demarcation between when you're a a boy or a young man and when you become a man and that the belief there is being like there was something missing that led to my being a man child through most of my 20s Right. And so like recognizing that um, as a way of saying, okay, so what am I going to do about it? Uh, And then the other belief that I think really has (sighs) shaped 
how these five years have have unfolded where five years ago from right now, um, I did not have a full-time job. I had a wife, but we did not even have an apartment, like no kids, no car, no career. Um, she was just finishing a degree. So it was like this time of deep uncertainty. Uh, but the belief that came out of some, some things in 2017 was ultimately you are enough. You, you've got this in not in a cheerleading kind of way, you know, not like a trying to rev myself up, like pump myself up for it, but just in a, in a, it, it sank in, in 2017 in a way that it never had before. And in a way that, that left me feeling like, okay, I got this. I got, I don't know what's going to work. I don't, I, I don't know whether any of these individual things I'm trying are going to actually work, but we're on the right track and we've got what we need to make progress. So those would be the, the two things that come to mind there. Yeah. Like a deeper knowing almost like a full body internalistic expression and feeling of it's okay. You got this. You can do it. You're enough. I think that's really powerful. And people that are trying to find that and struggling to find it, you know, just believe in yourself, start to believe in the process and what you're capable of doing. And, you know, self-help books are all the way out there struggling to find creativity going to have to try to re-listen to all those and get them in the descriptions of this show notes. But Tony, it's been legit chatting with you today. We had a really good session and I think your story is super inspirational. So I want to say thank you again for coming on and sharing it and really inspiring people with creativity of strengthening that muscle. I, I appreciate the invitation, Brian. This was, yeah, this flew by. It did. And that's this episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. I have to say, if you're still sticking around all the way up to this point, I have to ask, please head down to the show notes and find uh, the survey where we can find some more information about what you like to hear. There's a simple four question survey that we're sending out trying to get a little bit more information so we can build these episodes into the way that you like to hear and also that you like to enjoy. So with that, I will say also in those show notes as well is Tony's LinkedIn page. You should check it out. Give him a follow. He's got a lot of great content around creativity and how to improve it in your own. And as always, stay curious. Keep expanding.